I do want to ask you guys a question. What does church mean to you? This can be good things or bad things. It can be somewhere in the middle. But when you hear church, what do you think about? Worshiping God. A place where you can worship God. Are there certain things that you guys like about church? What's your favorite part of church? Communion. Why do you like communion? Free bread. Free bread. I know, it's the best <laughs> bread ever. It really is. <laughs> what do you like about church? Praying. That's a very good part of church. Is there anything else you guys like about church? That's about it. Yeah? If you guys could dream up your dream church, what would church look like? If you could plan a worship for Sunday morning, what would we do during that time if you guys were in charge? Any thoughts? You'd just keep it exactly like I always do? Yeah? Oh, well, that's quite a compliment. <laughs> Is there anything that maybe you do that's church-related, like an activity or something that's connected with the church that doesn't always look like we do it in here? Have you ever attended something like an event that the church put on that looked very different than worship? Connect, absolutely. What do we do at Connect that's so different? Games. Is there anything the same? We do. We have some worship time with music and we have lessons. We learn about God. What about you? Have you ever attended anything like vacation Bible school or a camp? Not really. Church can look like a lot of different things. I have another question though. Have you ever just had a conversation outside of church with anybody about God? Yeah? What did that look like? Did it look like this? Were you guys sitting in pews? No. Where were you at when this conversation happened? At home? In a car? Home in a car? Does that sound like church to you guys? It doesn't, but you know what? There's a scripture that says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. And I am a big believer that church can happen in different ways. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more later on. But I would love for you guys over the next few weeks to start thinking about what you like about church and what church could look like if it didn't look like this to you new and different ways that you could think about God in different places, okay? And then I would love for you guys to tell me those things over the next few days. I asked Ethan and Bella and even Kendall gave some input on what they like about church. They weren't able to come because we've been hit with another stomach flu at our house. But Bella loves that she can come and be in church with other people who believe in Christ. So that's a pretty good reason to come to church. Ethan believes that we come to church because we need to know about the resurrection and about the life of Jesus. I thought that was a pretty great reason. Kendall likes to come to church because she gets to wear her mini dress. 
and she gets cookies. And I think she has a pretty great point with that because as much as cookies probably don't seem like church, that is a big part of church too, is our fellowship time and being able to just sit around and have conversations and make even little people like Kendall feel very special for wearing a mini dress and being able to have conversations with people that love her and she loves. And it's really cool when it involves cookies because we all like cookies, right? <laughs> so that's my hope for you guys is that over the next few weeks, if you guys would start thinking of new and different ways that you can have conversations about God and new and different ways that you can think about church. And then if you would let me know about those, I would really appreciate it. Can you do that? I don't give you homework from here very often, but you have homework this time. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's say a prayer and then you guys can take some candy. Lord, I thank you so much for the young people in our church and for the young people who are in our families and in our community. I pray that each of us are inspired by them, that we remember to love them in the best ways that we can. And I pray that each of these young men and the kids who might be listening online know how much they are loved. And I just pray that you will continue to show up in their lives, that they will continue to fill your presence and seek your guidance in all of their ways. And I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can get into the candy basket if you want. <laughs> See, this is one of the best parts, right? <laughs> There's Tootie. I was I had to look. I was like, who's our reader today? Here comes Tootie for our reading. <laughs> morning. Our scripture this morning comes from Esther, chapter 4, verses 9 through 17. Hatak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hatak and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants and, and the people of the king's provinces know that if a man or a woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone, may that person live. I myself have not been called to come into the king for 30 days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think that the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for, them, for the Jews from another quarter. But you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, 
Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. With Mother's Day coming up in a few weeks, I thought that it might be a good time of the year to take a look at some of the important women in the Bible. So often we tend to focus on the men, and not that there's anything wrong with that. We do love the men in our leadership and in our Christian faith. But a lot of times the women get overlooked. As a woman in ministry, there have been numerous times that I have felt the shun of being a woman pastor. I have often, way more than the times I can count, been told things like, you're not too bad for a woman pastor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or, I can actually understand you. The tone of your voice doesn't mess with my hearing aid. Okay. <laughs> I've even been told that I'm different. I assume different is a good thing when they say things like this. I've also been told, I just don't know how you can do it. You have so much on your plate. Usually they're referring to the fact that I have three churches and five kids and a husband. And yes, that's a lot. But you know what? I don't know life any different. I became a mom really young. I've always been a very busy, involved, outgoing person. And it's just what I do. So for me... It just seems like my normal plate. I cannot imagine my life without being a woman in ministry. When I first started, I used to get a little bit discouraged because there truly were not a lot of women in ministry in the conference that I began in. One of my greatest influences, I've talked about her multiple times, her name was Dee Williamston. She was one of the district superintendents at the time. And as I was deciphering my call, thinking there's absolutely no way that this is going to happen because I cannot pack up my family and move to seminary, she took me aside and she said, I can't tell you what to do, but I'm going to tell you what you need to do and you need to go to seminary. And I listened. And next thing we knew, it wasn't too many weeks later, I was officially in seminary. Dee Williamston, just this last year, has gone on to become the first African-American female to become bishop in the South Central jurisdiction of the United Methodist Church. I am so honored to have been one of those people that influenced or was influenced by her. And I hope that I am able to influence some young woman some way in the way that she did for me. This last week, I also went down to Butte. We had our district gathering for the Montana East and West District. So if you needed to do the math on that, all of Montana was in Butte. And I have to admit, I was overwhelmed and shocked to realize there are more 
female clergy women in Montana than there are male pastors. Both of our district superintendents are women. Our bishop is a woman. I was talking to Reverend Jan Whitman. She's currently the Montana East DS, but a lot of us know her because she was our former DS. And her and I were reflecting on her very first annual conference. She said she remembers so distinctly being gathered for her very first annual conference. And in Montana, of course, they were singing the song Harvest Time. And it was a four-part harmony of a bunch of male voices. There were only five women at that first annual conference. And she's on her way out retiring this year, and she was inspiring me a lot with her words, reminding me that she came from five clergy women to now being a DS and helping supervise and oversee a state who is full of clergy women. Ministry looks different than it used to. Very, very different. When we look around our church, church in general looks very, very different than it used to. One other thing that I got to take a glimpse at while I was down there was they had the Yellowstone Conference 100-year um, history book down there. I believe, if I remember right, I think it was 1958. But I was flipping through this book and I was looking back at what the membership was for Shoto, Brady, and Dutton, and other area churches at that time. Anybody want to take a guess on what that membership was? Shoto had over 300. Dutton had 77 members at that time. They're down to 15. Our church, I believe we're at, what, 140, 139 right now? Less than half of what we were. Church is very, very different. Another thing that I notice, whether I'm here in this church or the Brady Church, Dutton Church, or gathered at a conference, is that typically, generally speaking at least, there are two generations missing from our church pews my parents' generation, and most of my generation. They don't attend. There's a lot of reasons for that. A lot of times we need to sit down and listen to those people's stories to understand why and where they're coming from. But for the most part, generally speaking, there are two generations of people who are not attending church. As a mom and as a fairly young person in ministry, although I was reminded that I'm leaving that young clergy, I did get invited to the young clergy gathering, but I don't officially qualify for it by age anymore. As a fairly young person in ministry, that makes me scared, very scared. Because I'm afraid that for people like Xander and for Colton's generation, once some of these older generations are no longer around, what is going to be left for them? This is a very, very serious issue. A very serious issue, and one that is scary. Our new district administrator shared a devotion while I was down at the district gathering. The new district administrator's name is Emma, Emma Bridgman. And the devotional that she shared went something like this. 
her and her husband have become very fond of bird watching. And so they love looking out their window at all of the different birds that come in. And as she was flipping through a book one day, she happened to come across a story that caught her eye because it was about birds. These five little birds that she were reading about live in New Zealand. And they're the last five birds of their species. Only five of them, they are almost extinct. Now of those five, only two of them are female. Of those two female, typically that species of bird will only lay two eggs throughout the course of its entire life. When we think about that, the odds are not in this species' favor at all. Inevitably, they are going to die out unless something different is done or somebody figures some way to help them. Luckily for these birds, there was a man who said, I think I'm going to try something new. And so he took those two female birds, he let them build a nest, and they laid their two eggs. He knew that this might cause some distress for them, but he figured, what is it going to hurt? So he took their two eggs from them, and he gave them to an adoptive bird to lay on the eggs. His hope was that those two female birds would go ahead and lay two more eggs. You know what happened? They did. So when he had two more eggs from each one of those birds, he took those eggs and he gave them to them another adoptive family. He did this until each bird had 12 eggs. Then he let those 12 eggs hatch. And he said, I'm going to give these little babies back to the mom and see if it causes distress for her or if she adapts. She's used to raising two little ones. What's it going to be like to raise 12? Well, probably a little bit crazy, but she did adapt. And so because of his thinking, doing something completely different, this bird population began to grow. They now had 24 little babies. Of course, those grew up. And he did the same thing with those eggs. Instead of having those birds lay two eggs and call it done, he did the same thing. This bird population is no longer on the endangered species list. It has grown. As Emma shared that devotional with me, I saw a lot of similarities to our church. We have done things the exact same year after year after year, generation after generation after generation. And somehow along the way, churches dwindled out for a lot of people. They've left the church. I am encouraged to say that I don't believe that Christ has left the hearts of those people. Most people who do not attend church on Sunday will still consider themselves spiritual but not religious. Or they will say that they are still a Christian, but they do not believe they need to attend worship because their church is somewhere else. In Montana, we very, very commonly hear that that's out in the mountains. And I agree with that. I am one that finds Christ in the mountains every time that I go. I personally still think that some tradition and church is important but I'm not going to change somebody else's mind by telling them that. This story of Esther is one that has encouraged me 
since I very first began deciphering my call story, and it is one that encourages me so, so very much when I think about the future of the church. Esther, for those of you who don't know the story, I think most of us do, but I'll summarize it just a little bit. She was this little orphan Jew, and she was adopted by a family member. Some translation call him her uncle. Some of them say that Mordecai was her cousin, but she was adopted by one of her male family members. They lived at the time of King Xerxes, and he had this beautiful wife, Vashti, Xerxes also loved to party, so to speak, and he would hold these huge, huge banquets. Well, during one of his banquets, he wanted Vashti to come and dance so he could show her off, and she refused to do it. So he said, enough of you, you're out of here. Well, then he needed a new wife. So in a very Cinderella story type way, he holds this beauty contest, and he invites all of the virgins of the land to come. But they didn't come just instantaneously. They spent about 12 months going through beauty treatments, having special anointed oils on them, eating special diets, doing everything that they could for their beauty to shine. Esther was encouraged by Mordecai, her uncle or cousin. I'm just going to call him uncle for the sake of the story. He was, she was encouraged by her uncle to go. But because they were Jewish, and the Jewish people were not in a good place at that time, he made sure to tell her, do not disclose your racial identity or your belief system to the king. So she kept quiet. Well, her time came to go in front of the king, and he fell in love with her. He loved everything about her, and so she did end up becoming king. Well, also along the way, Mordecai had heard about this plot the King Xerxes was going to die. And so he ends up sending a message and it saves the king's life. And the king kind of puts this in the background of his mind. So we're gonna forget about that for a while. More time goes on and Hammond, the second hand, second person in charge right there with the king, hears about all these Jewish people. And he says, I think they all need to bow down to me. I'm second in command. So he tricks the king into putting his stamp on a decree to make all of the Jewish people bow down. But Mordecai says, I'm not going to do it. I only have one God and I am not going to bow down to you. So of course, Haman gets really mad about this. And he says, Mordecai should die. And not just Mordecai, but all of the Jewish people. They should all die because of this. Mordecai catches wind of this, and he sends a private message to Esther. And Esther says, I can't really do anything about this, because if I go into the king, who's not called me to his chambers for 30 days, it's off with my head. Mordecai sends a message back and says, it doesn't really matter because even though you're in the palace, all of us as Jews are going to die. So you're going to die one way or another. So you need to figure out a way to save the people. Perhaps you have been saved for such a time as this. Esther ends up kind of tricking the king a little bit and she has a banquet where the king says, what, it, what would you like, my beautiful queen? Anything that you want, even if it's half of my kingdom, I'll give it to you. And she says, oh, I'm not gonna tell you yet. What I really want is to have a second banquet with you 
and with Haman. Can we do that? And the king says, yeah, sure. So they have this second banquet and the king comes and Haman comes and Esther gets up and she says, surprise, I'm actually Jewish and Haman has plotted to kill all of my people. So what I really want is for you to save the Jews. And King Xerxes, he was like, oh yeah, that Mordecai guy, he saved my life once. And so because he saved my life and because this is what Queen Esther wants, that's what's going to happen. And all the Jewish people, long story short, were saved. Haman ends up dying. This seems like a very fairy tale type story. There really are a lot of parallels to what we know as Cinderella in this story. It also seems like a very unusual story to find in the Bible because something that's interesting about the book of Esther is that not one time during these 10 little chapters is God mentioned. Not once. But clear throughout the story, we can see God at work in very, very different ways. Ways that are unlike the ways that we read throughout most of the rest of the Old Testament. God was happening in unexpected ways. And there was encouragement through this saying, perhaps you were saved at such a time as this. Some translations say, perhaps you became queen for this moment in time. As I think about the story of Esther, as I think about the current state of our church, I find parallel in my own call story saying, I'm brave enough to be a pastor in such a time as this. I'm certainly not going to go out and save Christianity alone. There's no way that I can do that. But there are not a lot of people stepping up the plate saying, yes, I want to be a pastor. Because honestly, a lot of people my age aren't even in the church. But I do feel called to be a pastor in such a time as this. What I also hope is that all of you, as God's people, encourage, encourage young people to continue their belief, to stay strong in their ways. Maybe you are the Mordecai in the life, the one that shows those and tells those you have been saved to be a godly person in such a time as this. I think that as we move forward in Christianity and in our life, things are going to look very different. I think that church in itself is going to change. And one of the encouraging pieces that I took away from our district gathering down in Butte was that the conference is going to be launching this new idea. They're calling it Fresh Expressions. And I realized it's really not anything different than we've already been doing here in Shoto. And I was very encouraged to be able to share some of that with them while I was at the district gathering. One of the things that they talked about is that churches are going to begin overlapping a little bit. We are not always going to see different denominations standing alone. They are going to be doing things ecumenically. I love that Xander brought up Connect because that is one thing that I am most proud of in our little community. 
with the year that I got here, of course, COVID was happening. And so there was a lot of reasons people weren't meeting because of COVID. But when we finally started trying to get the Connect program to kick back off that first year, I think maybe we had 20 to 25 kids coming. The only Methodist kids were my own. There were a few Lutheran kids and a few of their friends that would come. But every single year we have promoted it and promoted it and promoted it. We've had people from our congregation that help out in teaching it every week. We've had people from the Lutheran church step up and help lead it. We have people from the Catholic church that are bringing their kids and helping with meals. And you know what is absolutely amazing? We averaged 40 to 45 kids this last year, every single week in Connect. That is amazing. And when I went and gathered with other churches across our state, I realized that that's kind of unheard of across most communities today. Most rural churches are not getting that type of gathering. We are doing something really good here. And that whole program started by simply having a conversation with somebody outside of our church. Just having a conversation and saying, hey, I like youth ministry and you like youth ministry. What would it look like if we just built on what we both like to do? And something amazing happened. The other idea that they are really promoting is that each of us go out just around our normal routine, around our normal daily life, whether it's going to a coffee shop or a coffee group, whether it's going to play cards, even in the post office. And they said, just be aware of the people around you. Find somebody who sets or gives off positive vibes, so to speak. You can usually pick up on somebody of peace because usually they'll give you just a calm demeanor or a smile. When you find somebody like that, Instead of just smiling back, begin having a conversation with them. Get to know them. And after a few conversations, begin thinking about ways that you can begin meeting and bringing church outside of the walls of the churches. Ways that we can connect as Christians throughout the community. Church might look very different. But I promise you that if you go start having a coffee group that's having a little Bible study, so to speak, even if it's informal, that whole entire group is going to start going to their churches and they're going to become regular attenders at their churches. And then they're going to reach out to more people and more people and more people. Some of those people might not ever actually step foot back into their church, but the teachings of Christ will be more prevalent around the community. I think that there are some really good ideas that are going to come out of these fresh expressions and I am going to share more of them later on as I go through some of the sermon series. But the general idea of it is that there's this idea that there's this line of what we're currently doing for the church and this line of what we should be doing for the church. And then there's this area right here that has potential. They call this the risk area. And it's these ideas of risk, doing things that we wouldn't normally do or things that might make us uncomfortable that help us to close that gap. 
things that help us to get up to that line that is going to make church kick off and do more and grow in the future. So I look forward to being able to share some of those with you. And I look forward to expanding more on these fresh expressions over the next few weeks. But as a bit of irony, I had to share this with you too. When I got to Dutton's church this morning, there was this envelope laying there on the pulpit from somebody that I've never heard of. His name is Bill Curtin. He's a retired United Methodist pastor from Denver. I opened up this package, not sure what to expect. And there was this card and a book that he had written inside of it. And what he was, did I just die? Did I die? Oh, I'll try to talk really loud. <laughs> so, what he tried to explain briefly in the card and what his book appears to be about is that he was a clergy person, clear up until his retirement. But he realized that he had been loving with blinders on. He said he had been loving his people and not God's people. And so his note is a note of encouragement to love all of humanity, to figure out a better way to open our hearts and our eyes and our minds to new ideas. And it was a note of encouragement to not give up. I think that it was exactly the note that I needed today, knowing that this was what I was going to be preaching on, and I felt like it was certainly a part of God's timing. So my hope is that each of us, in our own ways, whether we are the Mordecai or whether we are the Esthers, will be willing to listen to the ways that God is calling us that might be very different, and that we will realize that we are here 